Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Thanks for listening this week. Coming up, we're going to hear from the Mission Support Group Commander, Colonel Kevin Jacobs. Also joining me for that interview will be a uh, new member to our public affairs team. During June's drill, the Chiefs are cooking for us. The 126th Chiefs group is hosting a burger burn on Sunday, June 6th on uh, D-Day, as a matter of fact. The Chiefs burn is at the maintenance pavilion. The Department of the Air Force is reminding airmen and guardians to apply sound risk management when enjoying outdoor and recreational activities with families, uh, family and friends this summer. So please be careful with your fireworks. Don't build your own fireworks. Hi, my name's Senior Airman Gregory Goder. I'm uh, part of the 126 Comptroller flight, and uh, I'm a financial manager here. My day-to-day job um, would be I'm an accounting technician, basically, so I'm in charge of all the squadron's uh, purchases, and I make sure they uh, hit the books correctly. What I like most about being in the 126 is I'm an AGR out here, so I'm work out here full-time. With that, I get a bunch of opportunities. Um, Traveling is probably my favorite opportunity. Um, I've been to a bunch of cool places like um, Washington State, which was the first time I've ever been there. Um, I also play on the base softball team, um, so I get to travel with them quite a bit as well. I joined the Air National Guard because after college, um, I had a couple jobs I didn't really like, and I wanted to have an impactful career and make a difference on my community. I chose the 126 um, because I could pretty much stay around all my friends and family and still be part of the Air National Guard. I joined the Comptroller flight um, because my bachelor's in business management um, and it kind of just fell hand in hand with uh, working with finances. One huge benefit I've been taking advantage of is uh, my full-time employment as an AGR. Um, As an AGR I get active duty pay, benefits, and everything that goes along with being active duty, but I get to stay home. Hi, we are the 126 recruiting team. I'm Master Sergeant Heather Wilde, recruiting flight chief. I'm Technical Sergeant Richard Olson, production recruiter. To learn more about career training with the 126, give us a call at 618-222-5701. But But wait, wait, there's there's more. more. Give us a call in the next five minutes and you could qualify for four years of free college tuition. Joining us on Roll Call for the first time as co-host, Staff Sergeant Ariana Freeman. Hi. <laughs> Our guest this weekend is who what I think is the hardest working man in showbiz. He's always the, he's like the first one here, the last one to leave. The commander of the mission support group, Colonel Kevin Jacobs. Thanks for coming by, sir. Sure, anytime. So, sir, you're the uh, commander of the mission support group. How do you manage command at such a, of such a large group that covers such a wide variety of uh, expertise? I mean, it's not just, you're not just in charge of, you know, making sure the planes get fixed or the planes uh, take off on uh, time. How, how do you... Uh, how do you cover such a wide area of expertise? There's a couple of things. Well, it's kind of a, it's a team effort. You know, I get some good commanders. I, I get a good support staff. Uh, but 
you know, my background, I've had the opportunity to work in you know, almost every area within the mission support group. So I started off in civil engineering, uh, did that for about 15 years. But while I was in CE, I had an opportunity to work with security forces and services. So back in the days when I first came in, we would do bivouacs and we do exercises because we worked together as a team back then. So that gave me an opportunity to kind of see how they function and what their requirements were. So understand their mission. Um, and so that goes back to, you know, the days when I was enlisted and I came in. So add that with my, uh, my command time, I got, had the opportunity to command us, not security forces, but services, had chance to command services, uh, and then uh, LRS, uh, and then the deputy, I was the deputy uh, MSG. So all that gave me the opportunity to see how each of the areas within Mission Support Group function. Your time in Springfield, did that help as well? Oh, director of staff? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, absolutely. So as a director of staff, I had the opportunity to go to each of the bases uh, and not only carry the ATAG's you know, vision and mission, but also it gave me an opportunity to see what their mission sets were and what their requirements were. So, you know, Similar, you know, they, they have CE, they have, you know, they have mission support, they have ops, maintenance, and all those things. So um, that was no different. But the mission set was different. And understanding kind of the, the, the underlying missions, I could um, then focus on kind of their, their main and overall arching mission. So, sir, I know when you took command of the mission support group, yeah. you had a vision um, of what you kind of wanted to accomplish um, how did the pandemic kind of shift that vision for you? Wow, that shifted like 180 degrees. Uh, so, yeah, the vision, you know, my vision was to, to put more innovation into, into the group uh, to increase our readiness, which is pretty standard. You know, you want to you make sure that you're always ready uh, for, for the mission. But the pandemic, when that hit, that kind of curtailed all of that. And my, my mission, my number one mission became to make sure that the men and women in the group were safe. Uh, you, know, you know, just to make sure they were safe and they felt uh, comfortable coming to work every day when we, did, when we finally started to come back to work. Um, being an operational wing, uh, we, there was no time off because we still had mission to do. So dividing our group up into teams, you know, this team comes in on this day and team B comes in on this day you know, give the, 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 the team or the men and women a chance to feel safe coming back to work. Uh, I must add, too, that, you know, I found out how many people were really, you know, I won't say health conscious, but uh, really sanitation people, sanitation crazy, I should yeah. say, you know, cleaning everything and mm -hmm. uh, uh, dusting off everything, cleaning everything. So found out a lot of people in each of the, uh, the squadrons were uh, really uh, sanitation conscious. The pandemic, you mentioned that the pandemic had an impact on uh, each and every airman. Yep. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. not, there's not one that didn't, uh, wasn't impacted. Uh, you had virtual drills and teleworking uh, took away that face time between uh, members of your team. How did you ensure the well-being of your airmen uh, during that time? Yeah, so we did, uh, we did teams. Uh, we did um, a lot of health and wellness calls. I made sure that every, every commander... Uh, put the word out to, to check on their people, uh, to do those phone calls. Uh, and then we also required them to come in on, on drills. So like I said, we split people up on A, B, and C teams. And so that was part of the reason we did that too, had, had them come in uh, so we can see them and see how they were doing and make sure they were okay. Uh, we got a lot of positive response because sometimes 
when you see a person on Teams or when you talk to them on the phone, you don't get the real effect and the, and the true sense of what's going on. Right. But that first that that face to face interaction gives you that opportunity to do that. So uh, that's one of the things I required is for them to come in um, when it was their time to come in, so we can do face to face to see. And we did get some positive response from that. We found out how many people were affected by the uh, the pandemic. Uh, which we didn't get from just a, a teams, uh, a teams call or a uh, or a wellness call. Uh, well, you know, we have a lot of people. Uh, you have a lot of people, especially um, who are out around the state and, and probably even oh, deployed too. Yeah, how, how are you keeping yeah. up with those folks? We're doing visits. Uh, all of the uh, the leadership team in each of the squadrons are doing visits, including myself, getting out and about and uh, and seeing how they're doing and thanking them for their their you know for for this mission. I mean, this is a, an important mission that they're doing out there. Um, so we're, we're getting out and about. We're, we're making visits, um, you know, monthly, monthly visits uh, and uh, checking on the troops and making sure that they're doing well out there. And make, important, more important, too, to make sure that they're not forgotten because, you know, you're on mission for 30, 60, 90 days and, and we're still doing our mission here. So we don't want them to, um, you know, we don't want to forget about them. So what, uh, I got to ask, what is it about this wing, or maybe it's widespread across the Air Guard or just the National Guard, because it seems like here I see so many people, like yourself, go from enlisted to officer. Is that because of mentorship? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's two things, uh, mentorship and opportunity. I, I think the uh, the 126 has opportunities for, for people to get commissioned, and and then along with mentorship, I know for myself, uh, I was going to get out right. uh, after my six years. You know, I came in for, for education. Uh, but, you know, back then, let me go back to when I came in back in the 80s. I'm dating myself now. Uh, uh, there were quite a few people who were of the Vietnam era. And so, you know, they had a different mindset mm-hmm. about the military than, than, we, than we do now. Uh, but uh, they encouraged me to stay in and to, uh, to seek uh, commissioning, uh, in which I did. So uh, it was a good thing uh, that I did that. I mean, I, I, um, it was a great thing that I did that I say, I should say. Uh, but it was because of those, those elder statesmen, those seasoned individuals back then <laughs> that, uh, that set me down and said, hey, there's more to the guard. I know you got your education, but why don't you look at be, be, uh, being a commission officer? Uh, you know, I think, you know, we think you would do well as a commission officer, so I did that. At what point uh, in your career uh, did you realize that you wanted to commission? I mean, what was it about what those guys may have said that said, yeah, I think I'll do this? Yeah, probably when they sat me down and said what uh, being commissioned means and what you can do as a commission officer. So, you know, um, if you look at the leadership team, uh, as all the commanders are commissioned, you know, they're, they're officers. Sure. And so if I wanted to be a commander... I would have to be a commission officer. So that was kind of the first step in, in that. Uh, and also then later on it became, I could uh, share some of my experiences with, with younger folks who are either in their early in their careers in the Guard or, uh, or actually some of who are later in their careers in the Guard too, you know, <laughs> it kind of works both ways. But I, I think that, that mentorship that I got from those, those seasoned individuals back in the day, uh, coupled with my goal to, uh, that I wanted, what I wanted to do uh, in the Guard kind of pushed me for commissioning. What, what was your college degree in? Uh, engineering, industrial engineering. Okay. So, 
So, sir, much like um, a lot of people in our unit, um, in this building alone, there's so many people that you walk by every day that have their bachelor's degrees, their master's degrees. Oh, yeah. Much like Sergeant yeah. uh, Ellison here has his master's degree. What's your degree in? Uh, public policy. Public policy. Completely useless. <laughs> public policy. Yeah. But I can get you a bill passed if you want a bill passed. <laughs> but um, I say that to say there's so many people that have their degrees. Yeah. Um, and make it to staff, tech sergeant, some of a master, um, and they're kind of on the fence about commissioning. So what advice would you give to someone on the fence? Oh, I would tell them to seek that, seek commissioning, uh, but be patient. So I was a tech sergeant, you know. Yeah, I made it to tech sergeant, um, you know, way back when, before I got commissioning. Uh, so I would tell them to seek commissioning. Uh, first of all, make sure you know what your goals are because it, it's work. When, once, you put, once you put that bar on, you know, it, it's work. So you need to know what you're getting into. So make sure that your goals are aligned with being a commission officer. Uh, and, then, um, and then expect to, uh, to be looked on as a leader. So and that's, that's the big thing. I mean, you have enlisted leaders, but when you, uh, as an officer, you're, you're expected to lead. So as uh, Technical Sergeant Jacobs. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so going from Tech Sergeant Jacobs to uh, Second Lieutenant Jacobs, what would yeah. you say your biggest obstacle was in that first? Oh my! So the friendships that I accumulated as an enlisted member. So I had to draw the line between friendship and uh, officership and leadership. Um, I, I had to separate that, uh, and it was a, a master sergeant that told me that. You know, so. Constantly learning from the enlisted force, but uh, she said, hey, you're going to need to separate yourself at some point before that. I mean, you need to, you're going to need to understand how to balance that, uh, those friendships, because you gotta, you got to remember, I was 10 years enlisted, so I accumulated 10 years worth of friendships there, and so now I'm, you know, I'm commissioned now, and I'm expected to, uh, to lead and, and act a certain, a, a certain way. What'd you do to, to, to break to break that I don't know, what do you want to call it? Uh, that I, I think that it was chain. a mutual respect. And okay. I think I think that was the nice thing about uh, my peers and my the friendship that I accumulated. They knew that okay, he's the boss now. Mm-hmm. He's not uh, tech sergeant well, Kevin. That's what it was right. back then. It was Kevin. It's not Kevin, it's Lieutenant Jacobs now. And immediately I think once that, that happened and that they understood that, I think it you know, things just kinda flowed from there. But um, but that was a big thing. It was a mutual respect uh, of my position and their position. Um, and once we understood that and once we got past that, I think things seemed, seemed to flow. I have to ask you, how important is mentorship to not just the wing, but the National Guard in general? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, you can't, you can't understate uh, mentorship. Um, you know, the, the Guard, the military has existed because of that. I mean, if we don't prepare the folks coming behind us, you know, for leadership and to run the organization, then we will fail as an organization. So we have to mentor uh, the folks coming behind us. Uh, but with mentorship, there's some responsibility on the individual being mentored too. I mean, they have to take the initiative to follow those, I don't say guidelines, but the advice um, of the individual that's mentoring them to be successful. Um, when you start to, when you start to, I guess, get to the top, um, it, it, being an being um, being an officer, being commissioned, the the pathway starts to get narrow, and it becomes more competitive. So a lot of the onus will be on the individual to do to do those things to make them successful 
Um, so. Okay. Who are some of your mentors? Oh my goodness. So I'm going to start back when I first got in my recruiter, Michael Schrader, technical sergeant, Michael Schrader. So he was a mentor. I mean, he, not only did he get me in, but he kind of, we kind of remained friends after that, uh, which was interesting. And, and it's probably because of the guard too. It's just the way, the way we are, we're a family organization. Um, but he was one, um, not only to get me in, but also he encouraged me to become full-time out here, too. Because, like I said earlier, you know, I was an engineer, got my engineering degree, had a good engineering job, is exactly what I wanted to do. Which I hear a lot of, you know, when people get their degrees, they don't get a chance to do what they want to do. Uh, so, but I got a chance to do what I wanted to do. Um, and so to go from that to coming in the guard, um, it took some convincing, but also seeing the big picture of things. And that's what a mentor would do, kind of show you what you don't see. And that's one thing that he did. Uh, other ones are, you know, Colonel Rick Nalk, of course. I don't know if you all remember, remember mm -hmm. him. I mean, a, a big mentor, uh, personally and professionally. Uh, not only to myself, but to a lot of people. Uh, my uh, former squadron commanders, uh, John Steed, uh, a, a, big, a big mentor of mine. Uh, the current group commanders are mentors too. You know, we talk and we share, we, sh we share information all the time. Uh, you know, Colonel Hendricks, Colonel Jackson, Colonel Olson, you know, we all share information. So it always our mentors too, uh, as far as just seeing how ways I can self-improve uh, personally and professionally. So uh, there, there are a lot of mentors. I mean, I can go on for, for days because, you know, you, you take bits and pieces from someone, uh, from a mentor to, uh, to self-improve. How important is, uh, I think we touched on it, but how important is having a mentor and, and what happens, I mean, what can happen if you don't have a mentor? Uh, I think you become stagnant in your career. Uh, you, you'll become stagnant, it, you know, personally and professionally if you don't, you don't have someone to, to kind of advise and, and guide uh, and, and share that experience with, with you. Uh, so that's what will happen. I think you just kind of become stagnant. And, and because of that, you become disinterested. Uh, you may have, you know, a phenomenal skill set, uh, bec but because of lack of mentorship, you'll never get to fully show your skill set and be an asset to the organization. So um, one thing I like, and this is something that happened a couple years ago, is that we were all set in a room and we were all given the same information. Uh, so th that was great because now we all had the same opportunity um, to enhance our our career, okay. What uh, what was that? What was and what was that information or? Oh, it was just it was about PME professional edu education. Mm -hmm. It was about your uh, your civilian education, what you need to do. It was also encouraging us to step out of our comfort zone and do some short tours to to build your skill set. Um, so those are some of the things that were mentioned in that in that meeting, and they're still mentioned today. You know, and I, I, when I mentor someone, I give them the same information, is that in order to um, kind of enhance your, your toolbox, I should say, you, you need to get out of your comfort zone. You need, to, um, you need to seek other opportunities outside the wing to, to build your skill set uh, and also increase your networking pool. So I, I think that was good information that I got, and that's information that I, I pass on. When uh, when I sit down and, and mentor um, uh, troops, All right. 
What are you uh, doing for yourself still to improve uh, yourself? I mean, because, you know, you're, you're up there. Why, why, why do you need to improve no, yourself? No, you, you can never <laughs> stop learning. There's always something new. There's all these, all these leadership books are out there that, um, that I, I try to, uh, to absorb that information from leadership books. Um, so that's one thing, thing I do. And also talking. You'd be surprised, you know, enlisted in officer, how many people um, read leadership books and, and, uh, and follow different uh, leadership principles. And so a, a great way of, of doing that and that, that I didn't realize until I started doing, when you're interviewing somebody, whether it's for a position or, like you guys are interviewing me right now. So you're finding out, you know, what I do. And you can take some of those things and add those to your toolbox. So that's one way that I find out, you know, uh, self-improvement. Okay, so I know um, from a lot of our younger airmen yeah. who are traditional, who aren't mm -hmm. out here full-time, um, a lot of them do their first contract and get out because, you know, they say it wasn't what they thought it would be or, you know, they're just not getting that experience that they wanted to. And I think a lot of that comes from maybe not having mentors. So how can a traditional airman who's not out here full-time basically get a, a military mentor. I, I think that falls on leadership. I think we need to do a better job of, of mentoring not only certain individuals, you know, you're kind of picking from the, uh, picking from the litter, um, but I think we need to do it. We need to offer everyone the same opportunity. Um, and that's something that uh, Colonel Jackson has done, you know, since he's taken over is he's instituted a mentorship program. Um, he um, assigned, um, uh, Major Lubeck and uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Huckel to uh, to kind of spearhead that. So that program should offer everyone in the wing an opportunity to be mentored by someone. Um, all you have to do is go on that website, you know, look at the different profiles, and and from those profiles they can see things that they're interested in, things that they think will help enhance their to their toolbox, uh, and and just you know pick pick a mentor. Uh, what what would you say is your leadership style or philosophy? Uh, one thing I do is I find out what your what your strengths are, and I give you an opportunity to highlight those strengths and put you in a position to succeed. There's there's multiple leadership styles. Uh, I know early on it was lead by example. Uh, I do a lot of that lead by example, uh, but but mainly is not to micromanage but to allow you to make decisions. And if you're going in the wrong direction, then that's when I will step in and kind of offer guidance to make sure that you're, you're back on the right path. Why did you join the National Guard? Why did you choose the National Guard and not uh, the Air Force or something like that? Oh, actually, I was going to go active duty. Uh, but... Um, um, my my high school counselor said, "No, you're not." <laughs> really? Yeah, she said, "Your grades are good enough for you to go to college, so you're going to go to college." Okay, great. Uh, how am I going to pay for it? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always that uh, that thing called finance. So 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 that's how that that happened. So like I said, I was going to go active duty, so I wasn't afraid of getting in the military. So um, that wasn't an issue. It was whether I was going to go active duty or National Guard. Uh, the reason I chose National Guard is because they made me the best offer. You know, <laughs> they offered to pay my tuition and I can go to school. So that's why I joined the National Guard. And again, thanks to my recruiter, you know, 
uh, my trader. What made you uh, want to choose the uh, the 126th area fueling wing? Uh, quite frankly, I just didn't know anything about other units. You know? <laughs> right. So, so I went to the University of Illinois, uh, and there, yeah, Springfield's a unit down there that's closer. Uh, Pure is not so; it's, it's pretty pretty far. But uh, at the time, the 126. That's all I knew was the 126. I didn't know anything about Springfield. Or, or Peoria. So the 126 made me the best offer, so that's why I chose the 126 as my first round. <laughs> was it? Any, was there anything in particular about the uh, 126? There was it just uh, you know some people. I mean, it's and it's an, a fair fair thing to say. It was closer. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, O'Hare. I lived on the south side of Chicago, and O'Hare was closer. It was uh, about a 45 minute drive from my house to O'Hare, so it was closer. Uh, but funny story at the time. I didn't have a vehicle because I was 18 years old, uh, so I had to catch the train, and the train stopped at Cumberland. So from Cumberland to get to the base, you had to walk. Oh, yeah. And if anybody, wow. if there are any old school people who are listening to this, you understand the walk from Cumberland to the base. It's a it's a nice walk. Wow. So, so you were part know. of that big group that came from O'Hare oh. to be the one of the originals of the 126 Air yeah. Fueling Wing. 1999. Yep, I'm one of the 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 originals. What was that move like? Uh, interesting to take to take pretty much a whole base and move them, you know, 300 miles south was, was pretty interesting. Um, I got a chance to close down a base too. So not only to build up a base, but close down a base. Oh, wow. uh, so I got to do both ends of the spectrum, you know, uh, shut down and, and open up. Uh, but it was real, real interesting to do to see that process. Um, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime process, you know, opportunity to do that. What's that like to uh, shut down a base? I always think it's like when you move out of a house, you have to make sure everything's clean. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> sort of. So you, the systems, you know, being an engineer, we, need, we were in charge of facilities, so we need to make sure that the facilities were safe. So we had to shut down the facilities, you know, the, the HVAC systems, uh, the gas lines, uh, the water lines, so those things to make sure that they were shut off properly so that there wouldn't be any uh, issues later on down the line. Um, so that was kind of the big thing for us is to, to we call them decommission. So we had to de oh, okay. de you know, kind of decommission facilities. What was that, uh, what was your role in opening up uh, this part of the base? So um, I had a chance to actually uh, design and, and build a couple facilities out here. So oh, wow. that was kind of, kind of my role, which was neat to do. Uh, so I did a little bit of that up, up at O'Hare when I was up there, but down here, you know, an $80 million, $80 million project. Uh, you got a chance to kind of work work that angle. Uh, and, I, and again, I owe that to my, uh, my commander, John C., giving me that opportunity to do that uh, as a young uh, engineering officer uh, way back in the day to do those things. What building has the Colonel Jacobs? Uh... Uh, the Flight Sim building, the Flight Training Unit. Uh, the age building, and I'm trying to think now. There's a fourth building that escapes me. Uh, I got the rendering, so I have to look at the rendering of it. So um, the architect uh, gave me renderings of the buildings that I, I had a, a hand in designing and constructing back then. I picture you at a big board, you know, with uh, your pencil and your glasses and, you know, one of those big white board, white tables, desks, or whatever, 
drawing, so drawing lines and stuff like that. That's when I first got in. So when I went to really? school, that's what we did. We used those big boards, yeah. you know, back then. But let's, let me take you into the future now. So we use AutoCAD. <laughs> so, yeah, we used AutoCAD, uh, computer-aided design. You know, everything's on computer. Uh, we didn't have to do that anymore. But it was nice to, to do that. The, the thing I hated about that, those, those boards, was my penmanship. I never had that neat, that neat penmanship. Really? No. So when I took, um, it was called drafting back then. Right. Uh, drafting and, and CAD. So uh, what you would get graded on your, your penmanship and how you, you use the, the nice uh, mechanical pencil and draw, draw things. I, I just didn't do very well. So when the computers came out, great, you know. <laughs> So I didn't get graded on my penmanship anymore. That is a cr that is crazy. They judge yeah. you on your penmanship. Yeah. So you'll see some engineers, you know, some of the older engineers, um, you know, get neat, nice penmanship. And then there's those like me who right. don't have that nice penmanship. And they probably still prefer to draft. Yeah, they, they, they do. Do you use a, uh, I know this is, did you use a slide ruler? Gosh, <laughs> I'm not well, that old. I know, but so, it seems like there's like engineers out there that still use slide rulers now, and stuff like that. My my first calculator was a TI. Oh, it was a Texas Instrument. Oh, it wasn't a 32. It seemed like TI 80 is popping into my head, but it was a calculator, Brian. It was a calculator. It wasn't a slide ruler. I don't even know what a slide ruler is. Yeah. <laughs> I have no. I I remember engineers when I was a kid. You know, they had these. I'm surprised you didn't ruling. say abacus or something like that. Well, I was thinking abacus, but I knew that wasn't the right word. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, uh, you, have, uh, you have family in the wing, correct? Yes. Yes. So it's a family affair for you as well. Yeah, it, it is. I was able to mentor, <laughs> persuade uh, two, of my, two, two of my kids to join. My son, Darren, he's in the operations group, and then my daughter, Erica is in the medical group, so I have two of them in. Uh, my third daughter, well, my third child decided not to join, uh, but two out of three isn't bad, I would say. Not bad at all. And, and they enjoy their careers. Uh, I know my son did his second enlistment, and my daughter's still on her first. What, um, what does your son do over in ops group? He is a personnelist, okay. and my daughter is going to school to be a med tech. Wow. And your son's in college right now is that correct? no he's he's out he's a teacher so he graduated yeah, he graduated so you could not influence him to commission what's that you could not influence him to commission. oh he's still he's still there but he's so busy on the outside uh, yeah. when he does with his school and his coaching and stuff that he's i think he's really focused on that um but there's still a chance he's still young enough oh you you mentioned you had a job on the civilian side before you went full-time what'd you do yeah i was in yeah engineering so i was a manufacturing engineer uh, so I worked for a company for about five years doing that, uh, which was nice because I got to design um, things in the plant. Uh, so I got to use some of that math skills that they taught us back in, back in college. Um, I always thought that I would never get to use some of this stuff, which I didn't. I mean, it took a lot of math back then, but, uh, but I got to use geometry and trigonometry to design some things in the factory. Oof, that just sounds... That hurts my brain. Geometry hurt my brain. Yeah, don't ask me anything now, though. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I hated geometry. I barely passed. Well, yeah, geometry was just, whew, I didn't understand geometry at all. Proofing and theorems and all that stuff. That's but, why you're here, Brian. Believe me, I, I needed help with that, with the proofs. Um, I had some great teachers back in high school that, that helped me with that, though. 
And I think that too, you know, if you got good teachers to help you be successful, that just encourages you, encourages you to continue your education, mm-hmm. and and to not fear people. A lot of people fear math. I don't know why they, they fear that. You know that math, um, but uh, it's nothing to be fear of. It just takes patience. Is that something that you just came by naturally, or do you think you just grew, grew for a love of math? Um, it was. It's probably a little bit of both. Um, let me just let me just be clear. I don't love math. It's it's <laughs> it's kind of an ends to a means. I need to know math for my degree. Right. <laughs> I was more of a science person, a chemistry person, and so uh, there was some math and chemistry. Um, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So it was more the science aspect that kind of drove me in the engineering, and math was kind of okay. You need to know how to do math. Okay, got it. Okay. Was it always engineering from the start, or did you I wanted to be a finance major. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wanted to be a finance major. Can you imagine me and Colonel Fogarty in the same (laughs) office? (laughs) Yes, I wanted to be a finance major, and then when I became a junior in high school, that kind of shifted. Went to, uh, back then I was in a, um, a science organization, and so... The heavy focus was what they call STEM now. Sure. Uh, back then, and and so going to those different seminars kind of piqued my interest mm-hmm. in engineering. And from then, you know, from then on, it was pretty much engineering. It was just a matter of what discipline of engineering I was going to go into. Um, and a lot of disciplines of engineering. I think if I would have done it over again, I would have read environmental engineering or, or mechanical engineering. Was there a teacher that maybe mentored you to get into uh, to engineering, or was it just the count? The same counselor that told me that I was not going to the Air Force was the same one that <laughs> she was kind of a big, a big, a big mentor, Miss Keating. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she's still around this day. Uh, I think she's still alive. This, you know, she's still alive too, all right now. But she was a big influence, not only myself, but a lot of us who were in the program. Uh, to go to um, the engineering route, uh, and half of us did, and half of us, you know, went went a different route, journalism or, or whatever else, you know, kind of piqued their interests. Wow. So over the UTA weekends, we like to do um, a little segment called hashtag Ask an Airman. So for our UTA weekend, we asked some of our airmen if you could title your life after a show or movie, what would it be and why? A show or a movie? My goodness, oh. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I guess I should watch more TV. You're a busy man. Yeah, to do that, uh, a show or a movie. A lot of people respond like that, actually. Do they? Who don't I, watch TV yeah, or shows? I don't, I don't know. I watch a lot of reruns. Seinfeld. But yeah, I don't love Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't title that. We fe- that. we celebrate Festivus in my house. Do you? <laughs> I think one thing, though, is perseverance. Okay, so if there's a movie title has the title Perseverance in it, I think that would be it. Because I think that's one thing I had to do throughout my career is kind of persevere. And, and I would tell anyone that to make sure you're prepared to persevere uh, because you're not going to get things when you want them. They're not going to come when you expect them to come. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll go back to when I got commissioned. Uh, it took three years. Really? So... So now I'm at my six-year point, and I'm going to seek a commission. It took three years from that point, so I had to uh, re-enlist. Uh, so I must have been pretty serious about being commissioned. So, so that's when it first started. I mean, that's when perseverance first started right there, that it didn't come 
It didn't come right away. It took three years to come for, for me to become commissioned. Uh, and then command. You know, command didn't come right away. It, it took a while to become a commander. So, again, perseverance. Uh, become a group commander. Perseverance. So, anything with the title perseverance in the movie would probably be fitting for me. Okay. Yeah. So, I, what, but what... I mean, what it took three years. What took so? What, I just, oh, I just just uh, to find the right fit. Um, so, so, in, in, if you don't know this, you know, openings don't come up every day. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you may get one opening. You may get one or two openings a year, and so now you're competing for that one or two openings. Uh, so it's not only me; it's other folks too. So I was six years into my career. When I started the process, someone else may have been nine or ten years in their career. Well, you know, so we're all competing for that one slot that, that came open that year. Uh, and then you have to make sure you meet the requirements for that, that position, too. So that's why it took so long. It wasn't it's just the, the fact that uh, the opportunity you know, you know, wasn't there. I think my, my third year, which been my ninth year enlisted, there were probably three commissionings that came up. So, so it's just kind of... Uh, uh, cyclical, you know, you may have one and then you may have three one year. What was your goal uh, when you commissioned? Uh, to not screw up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, to, to, uh, to, to, be a, to be a good officer. I think that's what it was, to, to be a good officer, to, to be a good leader. Uh, that's what it was. Because I was definitely challenged early on because I had to make that, that transition from enlisted to, to, to being an officer. So it was more so, okay, how do I become a good leader and how do I lead people? You know, you always talk about followership, you know, being able to follow people. Um, but, you know, you, you have to learn to lead and, you know, from older officers, I would watch them and what decisions they made and was it the right decision or not. Okay, I'll take that bit of information and put that in my toolbox. So that when I had the opportunity to make a decision similar, you know, I had something to go by. Uh, and then also off of what I've learned too, you know, my own, from, from, from what I've learned in my career too, take those things that I've learned too. But I think the main goal was to, you know, be a good leader. That was the, the main goal is to be a good leader. Um, and then always in the back of your head, you're like, man, please, I hope I don't screw this up. <laughs> so in your officer career, um, when can you say you had the most challenges? Because I know right now you're a full bird colonel, so you have more responsibility, but when you're a tech sergeant commissioning to a second lieutenant, you have more responsibility than you've had previously. So, Yeah, I think there's it's kind of a two instances. I think one was the transition from enlisted to officer was a challenge because uh, things change, responsibility changed, my mindset had to change. But also when I changed jobs, too. So because I'm... I'm I'm leaving my comfort zone. I'm going to some place that I don't know. And I'll take the director of staff in Springfield as an example. So that one, you know, was a big challenge because I'm dealing with Army. I'm dealing with different, uh, different organizations, uh, so, and they have a different culture. Uh, then I'm dealing with, you know, different wings, and they have a different culture too. So uh, it's a challenge to kind of learn the different aspects of, of each uh, organization. And so, so that was a... That's, that was probably the biggest challenge, just, you know, just kind of hone in on those things. Personally, I really am curious. Um, myself and then other friends who have been full-time in the wing, um, there's instances where you're offered opportunities, maybe to catch orders at AMC or get mm-hmm. on orders, um, you know, 
in Springfield or you just have all these opportunities, but as an airman or maybe a new staff or maybe a new tech, it's something that's out of your comfort zone. So you're stuck between, do I want to stay here and wonder what could have been, or do I want to take this leap of faith and do something that, you yeah. know, I might be the, the new one in the office and I might be looked at as someone who, you know, might not know the job. What advice would you give to someone who's kind of stuck in between taking a leap of faith on a new career change? Oh, I'm going to say go for it because, you know, speaking from experience, you know, go for it. I think when you go, when you step outside your conference zone, you are exposed to other opportunities too. So by seeking outside your comfort zone, uh, going to different places, you'll see other opportunities out there. And, and that will kind of guide you uh, on, a different, on a path that you did not even expect to be guided on. So uh, yeah, if someone came to me and asked me, you know, hey, what should I do? I would say, yeah, go for it. If, 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 you, can, if you have the time and the will and the support from your family support, mm-hmm then I would say do it uh, because I think it would kind of open up the doors for you. You kind of see other opportunities. You'll be exposed to different things. Um, so, yeah, I, I would always encourage someone to, to, to do that. So how important uh, you know, is, your, is your family, and especially in, this, in, in the National Guard, how important has your family been uh, to you in your career? Oh, huge. You know, I mean, going back you know, to my wife who I was dating, date, dating dating and uh, in college um, she saw me leave one weekend a month leave champagne to come up to o'hare to go to drill um, for a year i think the first the year we dated she's smarter than me she graduated before i did so <laughs> so she saw me for one year dear do that uh, but uh but then you know as we get married you know there are things that we had that i had to do trips we had to go on deployments and stuff so that she supported me on, you know, to, to, to do the things at home, to take care of business at home. And then we having the kids, okay, take care of the kids and the house and do those things. So family is, is huge when it comes to the military, you know, because of our op, ops temple, uh, the things that we're required to do to leave home. Uh, you need that family support to make sure things are taken care of on the home front so that you can focus on your mission at hand. Yeah. How important is the mission support group? to uh, uh, the state's mission of ensuring people are safe, they're quarantined, they're, uh, they're tested now that they're vaccinated. Yeah, so not only the mission support group is ensuring that, but we got other folks in the group who are, who are doing the same thing. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a wing effort to make sure that the state is, uh, is safe, safe and secure, um, uh, and try to, uh, I don't think we ever be COVID-free, but to try to lead us on that path to make sure that... Uh, that we're meeting the uh, meeting the goals of the uh, of the tag and the uh, and the other the other leaders of the state. Um, so uh, it's kind of a team effort. Uh, mission support group, maintenance, uh, ops, medical, uh, to ensure that uh, that uh, we're doing the uh, meeting the goals of the uh, of the state leadership. How hectic was it in? Uh January, especially end of December, beginning of January, when the vaccines start to roll out, we have uh, January sixth, and then you guys are pushed into duty, or the you know we're pushed into duty maybe quicker than we were expecting. Well, not only that, during that time period, we also had the uh, the president's inauguration. We were dealing with. We sent uh, we sent teams to support that. Uh, we're sending teams to start up the uh, the vaccination mission. So um, it was a. Uh, it was pretty hectic, just trying to find the right people 
to to fill the to fill the mission. Uh, so, uh, fortunately, on some instances, we had a lot of volunteers to do that. Um, the uh, the students who were not in school, you know, that helped that they weren't in school. That we had we had that pool to to pick from. Uh, but uh, but it got pretty hectic at, on the beginning, just trying to find you know the right people and the right timing uh, to go because we had we had the vaccination mission, we had the inauguration mission, and I'm sure there was a third mission we had in there <laughs> that uh, that escapes me at this time. But we had a couple missions going on at the beginning of the year that we had to find. Uh, find airmen to uh, to support. And you had folks deployed, too. Yeah, 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 huge. Yeah, we had people, we had quite a few people deployed uh, on a six-month deployment that were still deployed at the time. Uh, and even when those folks came back, they had a, uh, a uh, they weren't readily available because right. they had their, their, their ROM that they had to do. What... Um, what, what when, you, when it's time to activate somebody or call somebody up and put them on orders... What is your thought process about uh, calling those people up? You know, uh, what do you what do you have to? What's your like? What what do you have to think about as a commander? Uh, to make sure that you know we explain what the mission is. I think that's the first thing is that you know we need you and what the mission is that we need you for, uh, and to kind of give them as much information as as possible, uh, so that they know. Um, okay, how long are they going to be on mission, what the mission is, and, and then that way they could, going back to the family aspect, is to kind of get their, get their, uh, their affairs in order because they know how long they're going to be gone and what they're going to be doing and where they're going to be, uh, where the mission is at. Uh, so that's kind of the first thing that I'm, I'm looking at is, is to give them, try to give them as much information as possible so that they can get their affairs in order um, and, then, and then put together that team uh, to accomplish the mission. All right, sir. So, you mentioned it. You're from the south side. South side of Chicago. White Sox? <laughs> Cubs. Oh, come on, sir. Yeah. I can't believe This is just it's nuts. So, going back to elementary school, uh, you know, this whole interview is taking me way back, you know. But going back to elementary school, we used to get free tickets to the game if we had perfect attendance. And so, Wrigley Field offered those tickets Oh, that's so I used to get free tickets because I had perfect attendance sometimes. And so that's where the, the, uh, the love of the Cubs it kind of originated is with the, uh, the freebie, you know. The White Sox so it, missed it, their chance. They sure did. I think the White Sox had tickets too, but I think that came later. So um, I got hooked on the Cubs, you know, back then. Man. So I've been a Cubs fan ever since. I've been a White Sox fan since the 80s. I'm from here. But, you know, we're so baseball-centric and baseball-silly that we decided, my friends and I, we had to have an American League team. Okay. So my favorite my favorite... <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. My favorite city outside of St. Louis is Chicago. So I just naturally went with the White Sox. So that makes sense, too. So on the football side, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, of course. But, you know, a secondary team is the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is an AFC team. So... Yeah, I can follow that same logic in the same way. So when it comes to football, you know, I got an NFC team, which is the Chicago Bears, and an AFC team, which is the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. So so you mentioned you're from the south side. So I'm assuming your family's from the south side as well. Yes. Do they know that you're a Cubs fan? Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, my parents, White Sox fans, grandparents, White Sox fans, and then enter the new generation, us, uh, 
and you know, I know my 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 brother. I got four brothers, uh, so I know. Yeah, a couple of them know that I'm a Cubs fan because you know I got the Cubs hat and stuff, <laughs> and I had the Cubs pennant in, in the bedroom back in growing okay. up. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think my my parents knew, my family knew that I was a Cubs fan. Okay. Yeah, and so they didn't give me a hard time about it. Uh, no. It's just Sergeant Ellison that's giving you a hard yeah, time. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. All these Cubs and, fans around here. And I think, too, because, okay, he's a Cubs fan, but he's a Chicago Bears fan, so, okay, we give him a pass on being a Cubs fan. <laughs> I think that's what it was. <laughs> you know, you're a Bears fan. Okay, thumbs up there. Uh, but I, I did watch the uh, White Sox games because they were on w, w, Channel 32 WFLD. I think that was the station back in Chicago. So... Uh, uh, watch the uh, the White Sox games. Carlton Fisk, I think oh, he yeah. was a catcher. Um, Harold Baines. Harold Baines, yeah. yes. Then the big yeah. hurt came. Yeah, he was yeah. later on. Black Jack McDowell, yeah. pitcher in the 90s. But Ozzy. Ozzy Guillen. Ozzy Guillen, yep. yes, sir. Yep. So yeah. I know some of the White Sox players. Yeah. I mean, I watched some of the games, but, but, but luckily we didn't have interleague play back then. So <sighs> That's ruined baseball. I, yeah, I can root for the White Sox and the Cubs, but now when they play each other, it's always Cubs. And it seems like the White Sox gets the better of the Cubs when they play each other. Thank goodness. Yeah. That's unfortunate for me, so. <laughs> I don't start watching the games anyway until about the seventh inning, and that's when it starts to get real good and interesting. Yeah, I did last night for the Cardinals. Ugh. Yeah. Lost to the White Sox in that one. Yeah. But which is, you know, you're kind of pool. I mean, I, it, when it comes to the Cardinals and White Sox, I, I'll, you know, it's going to come, it's going to come down to the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Starting to sound like a sports, sports show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always have to talk sports in any type of interview you do. Yeah. Sports kind of brings everybody together or, or <laughs> forces them apart. <laughs> yeah. I hope not. So uh, you said you had um, four brothers? Yeah, I do. Four brothers. Are you the only one in the military? Yes. Okay. Yes, I am. Were you following in anyone's no, footsteps? No, oh, absolutely okay. not. Uh, it was a decision I made on my own. And it's funny because when I did this, you know, you, you know I turned 18 so I can kind of do what I want to do, uh, so to say. Mm-hmm. So. I went and told my my parents. Yeah, guess what? Oh, I joined the National Guard. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> so yeah, my father was growing up in the Vietnam era, so he was he was in that time. So you know, of course, a lot of people didn't like what was going on. So I don't think he was anti-military, but he didn't think the military was a was a way to go because you lose a portion of yourself, you know, because of all the the orders you're taking. And, and that's what a lot of people see in the military is that you're taking orders from someone. Mm-hmm. You're always taking orders, but there's more to the military than that. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, so I didn't tell them I had joined until after I joined. Uh, but a year later, uh, once the uh, free tuition kicked in, I mean, yeah. he was glad that I did that because he didn't have to come out of pocket for any, any, uh, any money for college. So it was a good deal. What did your parents do? Uh, mother homemaker, father worked at the steel. He was a steel worker. Oh wow! Yeah, so he worked there for thirty years. That's a good job, steel yeah. worker. Wow. Yeah, so he did. He did that. Wow. It, actually, uh, one of my jobs was working for Ryerson Steel. So now that I followed in my father's footsteps, uh, I got to work for a steel company. Where's that for at? A year. Well, at the time they had three companies. Their their comp- parent company was Inland Steel. Uh, and then Ryerson Steel was a, a subsidiary of Inland Steel. 
Uh, Inland Steel had three plants on Chicago. Uh, all three were on the south side of Chicago, and I got a chance to kind of hop around and work at all three plants. Uh, but after a year of doing that, I said, uh, okay, this is, this is cool, but uh, it's, it's not for me, and, and left the company after a year of doing that. <laughs> so that whole experience and follow, following in my, my father's footsteps and working for a steel company lasted for about 365 days. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do for them? Were you engineering? Yeah, or? I was an engineer. Yeah, oh, okay. engineering, just uh, improving process. Oh, okay. So that was the, the bulk of my job, is to look at a process and see if I can improve the process. Um, to make it either either faster or, or or safer for the worker, so just process improvement was the um, was kind of my job. It's almost the same thing as being a commander. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> process improvement. That's right. How important is it for you to go out and see the 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 troops in the in the squadrons? Oh yeah, I think that's that's very important. I think, and that goes back to when I was enlisted. You know, just seeing the commander. Uh, just being visible, uh, it gave enlisted. It gave me the sense that he cared about what we were doing, mm-hmm. uh, and so taking that piece of uh, of uh, information or 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 skill set, um, you know, to what I do now, I do the same thing now. I get out there and see uh, and learn. Also, you get a chance to see what the individual thinks about the process or, or what they're doing. You know, you may think that you have the best method to. Uh, to building, so let's let's go to construction. Mm-hmm. You know, since that's what we, you know, my background is in engineering. So you may think you have the best method of uh, building, building this room and constructing this wall, but the actual worker who's doing it may have a better way. So getting out in the field, talking to the people who are actually actually doing the work, gives you that opportunity to interact with them and see what they're thinking, see how it's going for them, uh, and also see if there's a way you can make the what they're doing, uh, their environment better for them, the work environment better. How do you know? I've always wanted to ask this of a commander because I've been, you know, I was a, a, I was a private, you know, in the army and all that stuff. How do you know if the airman or the troop is being truthful? Because you're like, oh yeah, how's it going? Oh yeah, it's great, sir. You know, and, and do you you just have to go by what they say, right? I mean, I don't know. No, you actually. Uh you look at the sweat glands, they have these little areas where you know what <laughs> No, no, that, that's, a, that's probably a, a tough one. Uh, but I think if you know your airmen, you know if they're being truthful. And, well, and let me take that back. If you know your airmen, your airmen will be truthful with you. So that's part of getting out and interacting with, the, with, your, with your airmen. Through interaction with your airmen, I think they have that sense of, um, of trust. And I mentioned this early on in, in, in the interview, you know, our mutual respect of trust. And so the more you interact with your airmen, the more they feel they can come to you and be honest with you about something. And that's what you want. So uh, getting out in the field, like you said, you know, getting out there, interacting with your airmen. And when you ask the tough question, you get the, uh, you get the answer. All right. Well, thank you, sir, for joining us. That's uh, Colonel Kevin Jacobs, what I call the hardest working man in show business. He is the last one here. He's the last one to leave and the first one here. At least it feels like it. Or maybe I'm just always late. Uh, (laughs) Colonel Kevin Jacobs, the commander of the Mission Support Group. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. And I want to thank my uh, first-time co-host, Staff Sergeant Ariana Freeman, new to the public affairs. Just came over from MSG. Yep. Yep. Great job. Thank you, sir. Great job. Thank you. 
With your look around the Air Force, I'm Technical Sergeant Shandresha Mitchell. Airmen from the 31st Fighter Wing at Aviano Air Base, Italy, kicked off Astro Night 2021, a joint multinational exercise operating out of multiple locations throughout Europe. Albania, Croatia, Greece, Italy, and Slovenia partner with U.S. forces during the exercise for combined missile defense training. The goal is to enhance command and control integration, coordination, and interoperability of air, land, and sea capabilities while strengthening U.S. and allied deterrence efforts in the European theater. Beginning this year, officers from the rank of captain to lieutenant colonel who meet certain criteria will have the option to request exclusion from promotion. Eligible officers may opt out so they're able to continue their education, complete a broadening assignment, or another assignment of significant value to the Air Force. Before this option, it was mandatory for officers to compete during their promotion window, even if they were missing key developmental assignments for their career progression, damaging their chances for advancement. Lieutenant General Brian Kelly, Deputy Chief of Staff of Manpower, Personnel and Services says, without this new authority, the Air Force risks losing talented airmen with critical skills who may have chosen or were directed to take atypical career paths. The Air Force has selected candidate locations to base the new KC-46A Pegasus. A total of 12 KC-46As will replace Air Force Reserve Command KC-135 Stratotankers with 24 active duty aircraft slated for the update. Candidate locations range from California to Indiana to New York State, among others. The KC-46A brings more advanced capabilities than its predecessor, including worldwide navigation and communication, improved force protection, multi-point air refueling, and airlift capability on the entire main deck floor. Final basing locations are expected to be announced later this year. And that's your look around the Air Force. Find out more about the new 126th Air Refueling Wing Mentorship Program by going to their Linktree account. There are signs around the wing. Click on the QR code, uh, and that will take you to the uh, Linktree account for the mentorship program. Uh, just take out your phone and uh, point it at there, and uh, you will. it'll take you right to their Linktree account. Or you can go to linktr.ee forward slash 126AR Mentorship Program. You can find all of our links on Linktree, linktr.ee forward slash 126ARW. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you're going to also download this on your favorite podcast app. If you want to pass along some information, you can email us. You got an event going on, what have you. Email us, rollcall126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Don't forget, this weekend is the Chiefs Burger Burn at the Maintenance Pavilion. That's this Sunday, June 6th. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison.